This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, there's just one week left until final rosters are due. Sean Williams announced his retirement from all lacrosse. Number 51 will stop by and join us. Jeremy Noble has become one of the big leaders in a quiet body for the Colorado Mammoth. We'll take a look at this week's pop and drops, plus much, much more this week on OTCB. What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can get a hold of me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. We are just a few days away from seeing the brand new National Lacrosse League logo. Are you excited? Are you scared? Are you worried? Do you not care? And maybe we'll throw in a few tough questions with some of these teams, some of these players that we see on the pop and drop list. There's going to be some really, really tough decisions this weekend. Because today's the 13th. If they hadn't approved the motion, they'd only have two days left to finalize their rosters. But... Because some teams have an extra week before other teams start. We now have six more days. And so by this time next week, we'll be talking about the nine final rosters. Plus, my castaway club. Because don't forget, I get one extra team. I won't know how well they do, but hey, whatever. I'm going to make a team. We talked about that a while ago, that once the final rosters are done, and I encourage you to do this as well. It's a fun little game we can play. From all the players that are released, go ahead and not on practice rosters. They don't count. So be careful of who you add on your list. But go ahead, scan the transaction list, and pick out your team. 20 and 4 if you want. Because that's what it is. Because uh, there are some teams that are pretty close to the number. Um, Saskatchewan is right there. Saskatchewan. Uh, Calgary's pretty close. Toronto is pretty close. Buffalo's pretty close. But then on the other end, you have, you know, and a lot of times I'm basing this off of what is on the league page. For each team. Um, and from some of the GMs that I've spoken to. There are still some teams that have. A lot of decisions to make. The Black Wolves. Haven't really made. Any player moves. Other than adding more players. Well they released. Mike McNamara. But they. Signed. Uh, Brandon Stahl. And they made one other roster move this week. We'll save that. But they've actually added guys. They haven't been releasing too many. And there's still a lot of guys in that camp. So while some teams are actually maybe keeping their eye on the waiver wire just to see who's out there, there are still some teams, a handful of teams, that need to do some serious cutting of players. And uh, we'll go over a lot of that in the pop and drops in a few minutes. Uh, But as mentioned, Sean Williams stepped away from the game of lacrosse and uh, what a legend he is. And and he was my teammate my first couple years in the National Lacrosse League. And then we battled against each other for a good four years after that and a few years uh, throughout senior ball. So Willie's going to stop by. Jeremy Noble uh, is going to stop by as well. So we got a busy show, but I want to continue with just the fact that we were closing in on on roster spots and some of the questions that are out there. um, Will the Americans make the Toronto Rock roster this year? Will Keenan McCardle and Tom Schreiber be there at the end? I think it's an incredible story if it happens. 
because it it shows that Jamie Dowick is thinking outside the box and not just sticking with Ontario guys that are his own backyard. He wants to try to find the best athletes, put them on the floor, give them a chance to prove their worth. And both looked fairly good in camp. Now, it could be a case of they are just not quite there yet and unfortunately probably not worth a practice spot. But maybe they are. And maybe you put them on the practice roster. It's a long stretch, I think. Because if you're going to have practice roster guys, you're not going to want to have to be flying them in on Tuesdays to the Rock Athletic Center where they practice. Maybe they do, but I'm not sure that that's going to be the way they go. But I would love to see them make that roster. Uh, Another question... Who do you give the C to in Toronto? I think Brody Merrill is a logical choice. But there are some other veterans there. Guys that you could let lead by example. Sandy Chapman has been there forever, even though he played for Rochester for a year or two. Rob Marshall's is a steady presence in the back end. Casey Beerns has been a leader of that group um, along with Doyle and Sanderson for years. Um, It's going to be interesting. My guess is they give it to Brody. But who knows? Maybe they have someone else they want to give it to. Maybe they give it to the possible youngest guy in the league, Latrell Harris. Relax, they're not giving it to Latrell Harris, but he could make this squad. And it's funny, having talked to a number of GMs and ones that um, saw him in preseason and ones that you know had known about him before the draft and saw him at the Combine, um, there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people, who don't think Latrell Harris had the greatest Combine. And yet, he's still around. And when I talked to a couple of the GMs that uh, had their teams go up against Luttrell in the past couple weekends, they all said that he looked very good. And he held his own. So there is a possibility of a crazy storyline of Luttrell Harris making this club. Reed Reinholdt, the BC product, he's trying to make this group uh, on a left-hand side that, uh, in, in all intents and purposes, doesn't scare the bejesus out of me, although Mike McDonald uh, has looked really good in the early going. Um, I think he's a great pairing with Steph LeBlanc. Dan Littner is, I think, a rising up-and-comer. And once you get uh, Brett Hickey back, they can shoot the lights out and they cut. That's the right side. I'm still not sold on the left side. Um, but I think Mike McDonald is a great presence there, and, and he really showed well against Colorado uh, this past weekend. Uh, speaking of the Mammoth, they have some decisions to make um, as they move forward. They're close. Um, they're still you know, trying to decide who fits where. Uh, they are pretty heavy up front. They still have some decisions to make uh, when you look at this group because of you know some of the players that they brought in, obviously drafting Zach Haywires to fill on that left-hand side, but they have five lefties still in camp. Uh, Haywires, Wardle, Grant, Zach Greer, and Eli McLaughlin. So that group has to be decided upon what they're going to do there. Vancouver has f- three or four goaltenders in camp. There could be another one coming. Tyler Richards is there. They just reactivated him. Eric Penny is there. Cody Hagedorn is there. Ty Belanger is there. So they're not going to carry four, obviously. They're only going to carry three. Uh, the decision, I think the decision is who's going to be the backup and who's going to be the third. Um, I still think Tyler Richards is the number one guy there. 
which leaves the option of Belanger, Penny, or Hagedorn. And I think I said this this last week, um, as much as I love Cody Hagedorn, great young kid, I just don't think his game is ready for the NLL yet. That means you have Penny and Belanger battling it out for two in the practice roster spot. Who knows, maybe they carry three. I don't think they will, but maybe they carry three and rotate backups. Again, I don't think they'll do that. Um, I think Belanger becomes your number two with Eric Penny being your third, but that's just me. Uh, Saskatchewan, I did it again every time I say it. Saskatchewan, um, they're pretty much right on their number. Uh, They don't have very many decisions to make, so uh, they can just cruise on into the night. They are pretty much set. The Calgary Roughnecks are almost there. They are sitting um, at 27 players. I think probably their biggest decision uh, might be who the starting lefty will be. Uh, the decision between Holden Katoni and Brody Eastwood uh, will be, and Riley Lone will be the tough questions for Mike Board, who they go with on that side. Obviously, you're going to run Doby and Shatler on the left, and you, you know, again, this, all these rosters depend on which makeup the team is going. And generally, when you can only dress 18, sorry, 17, you have to decide if you're going to be 10 and 7 or 9 and 8. So that means you have to decide if, you know, what's your 20 and 4 going to be? Are you going to be heavy O or heavy D? Are you just going to do 10 and 10 and keep it as simple as that? possible most likely but again you have to think of your team's makeup and what is best for your club so um you know Katoni Eastwood Lowen they're battling out because you can't you're probably not going to address five lefties most it's it's rare that that's going to happen on any team but then on the right hand side you have Matt Symes you have Wesley Berg you have Tyler Digby you have Curtis Dixon Love me some Matt Symes. And he's grown on Mike Board and that staff in Calgary um, all year, all preseason, throughout the Man Cup. Uh, he's going to be there. Not sure he cracks the opening day roster, um, but definitely a body they can use and bring it out in and out of the roster if they have to. So um, they're at 27. Uh, they're very near being pared down. Um, was unable to get a hold of Rich List to see how many um, cuts they still have to make, but as I mentioned, they still have a ton of guys on their roster right now. Um, so I don't know where they're really going. I think they have they have probably the most decisions. Them in Vancouver have the most decisions to make on what guys they're going to keep, what guys they aren't, because they have a lot of guys fighting for a position. It'll be interesting to see. Buffalo is right around that number two, and you know they have they don't have as many tough questions um, up front. Their decisions are going to be in the back end where they have a couple more choices to make. And Buffalo is generally a team that is built in transition uh, with, with transition players. So uh, a couple D spots left to be decided in the back end. And, you know, you're going to have to look between a guy like Briar Jonathan. It's his third year in the league. He was drafted by Rochester, came to Vancouver, and now he's with the Buffalo Bennets. Can he crack their roster? Plus, Buffalo has eight transition players on their roster currently. So that's not exactly an easy decision for any GM, even one that loves and has a coach that loves to run a transition system. And then finally down in Georgia, um, they're pretty close to the number as well. Not too many decisions from them. You know, obviously the loss of Jesse King uh, was massive for them. Bringing in Jordan Hall not only helps fill that void, just brings in another veteran body who's won championships uh, at all levels, understands what it takes to be successful both on and off the floor as an NLL player. So a great role model for that young group, especially the offense. But we're going to get away from that young group moniker now. I remember last year um, talking with Jesse King And he said, you know what, the one thing that Eddie Como has continually preached to us is we're getting away from the young guys and the fact that this group needs to gel. They've all played high-level lacrosse. 
They now all have a year under their belt, save for the draft picks that they're bringing in this year. But this isn't a young group anymore. This is a group that could surprise a lot of teams. And remember, they were one Sean Evans overtime goal away from going to the Eastern Finals. Think about that. Now you add Mike Poulin into the mix. You get Jordan Hall. This group becomes that much more cohesive. And I think the Georgia Swarm will be turning some heads. Now, the real big question about the Swarm is, will there be anybody to see it? Now, I haven't talked to Alex Shimke or any of the people down there. That's that's on my to-do list um, to see how their numbers are doing because for everybody's sake, let us hope that 2017 isn't a repeat of the attendance we saw in 2016 down in Georgia. And in other ranks too, but especially Georgia. That place needs to be rocking, especially if that team is going to be good. One guy who has played in front of a lot of people on a lot of really good teams announced his retirement last week. And it came a bit of a shock to many of us. And it actually came as a bit of a shock to him, in a sense. But as he's done throughout his career, and as Stephen Stamp said on Islandor, that the way Sean Williams retired from the game is just so Sean Williams. Classy, quiet, under the radar, and without a lot of fanfare. He was one of the classiest players I ever played with and against, a true leader, a fantastic mentor, and an absolutely incredible father. And I had the chance to catch up with Willie earlier today, and I asked him how this decision came about. Honestly, I didn't uh, didn't have a definitive decision, um, quite honestly. Uh, but, you know, then I'm like, I want to coach, and, you know, yeah. you're, you're smacking around, and it's all these young guys, and you're, you know, I, I watched Glenn Clark do it when he was coaching Toronto, when he was still playing. It was like, it's kind of like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like if mm-hmm. so, I wasn't sure. So you know what? It was just kind of, uh, kind of done. And then I yeah. just wasn't. I I actually talked to Furlong. I said, "Is there like a process to to retire?" He's like, I, hmm. "Everyone just tweets it now." I'm like, "Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not tweeting it. I don't. You know, I'm not. That's just not what I'm about." So yeah. And then I ran into Stamper, and then he just asked me, and I said, "I said, yeah, like I'm done, but I'm not. You know." tweet and he's like well do you mind if I put it and I said yeah go yeah. ahead and I did I had no idea then all of a sudden Friday I saw Twitter I'm like oh, I guess I'm excited <laughs> you know when when you make that decision uh, obviously as tough as it was was is there some relief that you're your body on your body that you that you're done no honestly still, no you still have that hunger eh honestly I still have it yeah, yeah. it's just it's weird but you know what it, it's I think um yeah I, I I still have that competitive fire and um I still have the the juices flowing, and I and I you know I play ten or eleven games a summer, and I felt good, and that's without even training the way I would have trained normally for for a season. I just I just didn't put the time in. I wasn't sure if they were gonna. I, I what I found was the, the only thing I found was like you know the way I trained. I didn't want to take that time away from being at home or coaching, so I just kind of half trained and got through it. But if mm-hmm. you know if I was if I was gonna go take a shot at it I would have just I would have to support and I would have taken the time but the way I was getting treated I was like hey, you know what I don't know if I'm going to put all the time in yeah in, in so that's where that's kind of where it's at but you know I yeah. definitely still held my own out there absolutely so yeah so as of that like you know on my you know it's 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 a weird it's obviously it's weird and you know I think I have it's just uh I put a little bit of closure with the summer summertime mm-hmm you know, it kind of pissed me off again. Like those guys were running it, and it's you know Brooklyn Redmond means so much to me, and it's you know to me it's even more important than the NLL. Yeah. Um, and so I got to you know I got to play some important games, and uh, I had some good games on at Iroquois, which is important to my family and myself, and then for Tucker, and uh, you know so yeah, it's 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 definitely weird, and but like you said, like not everybody gets to. Go out the way uh, you, you you want 
want to go out or as a storybook, and, and, mm-hmm. that's, and I'm I'm okay okay with that too. How has the loss of Tucker affected you? Like, obviously, it's been massive, but you know, in day to day and how you how you played, and what was the biggest effect that it had on you? I, I can't. I don't think I can put. Uh, I don't think I could put. Um, I don't know if I could put one thing on it. You know, yeah. I definitely. It's uh, you know, you struggle. You, you kind of struggle that you don't want to get up, and then um, you know, but you're. You know, we 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 sleep with Tucker. You know, mm-hmm. we have him, in, and uh, so then as soon as I you, you kind of pop your eyes open, I'm like, well, I got to attack the day, you know, for him and for the family. And then, um, yeah, you know, like uh, obviously, yeah, I, I have a different look on. I have a different look on life. Uh, I I think I was always that way. Anyway, where you know people should be good and good mannered and do good things and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and smile. And, but I think now it's just, it's just, you know, it exonify it, it. It just, it just makes it much more, obviously people talk about, you know, you, you have to savor every moment. And we, we know that as a family, that to, to be, to be the total truth. And, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not easy every day to, you know, everyone has their ups and downs and you, you go through your typical stressors and you watch your kids go through their school stressors. But mm-hmm. it, it, we kind of always, at the end of the day, you can take a breath and say, you know what, is it that important? It's, you know, you, you'll get through it. And people have so many, you know, get caught up in so many small things and you, you sit back and you watch them and it's like, it's just, just, it's okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then, you know, obviously playing is, you just, you have that, you have that fire and even coaching and you, you're trying to coach the kids to, play the right way and you know play like Tucker and all that kind of good stuff you guys are having a, an event for him and his memory this weekend I'm led to believe yeah it's uh we, we call it as uh angelversary so this is uh nice. yeah it's second uh second angelversary just uh just a celebration for uh for for him and uh, you know all of our friends and family and mm-hmm. you know some some come that we we weren't really be overly tight with, but um, you know the, the support that we had through Tucker's uh, through Tucker's battle and his fight it was it was obviously extraordinary and absolutely you know I think everybody uh, you know I, it, I, there's so many people that you know were touched by Tucker that you know we don't realize how you know we do for a lot but there's still some people that we don't realize how much you know they they've you know affected he says he affected their lives as well and so. It's kind of one of those things where it's, it's um, yeah, as hard as it is putting them together and, and as emotional as it, as it is, but I think it's just it, it, the whole Braver than Brave campaign. It was it was more than just a, a, a little boy, you know, mm-hmm. being sick and balancing something, and, and so we're we're just trying to trying to honor honor him through that, and it's just a, it's just kind of like a again a, a celebration, and, it, and it's. It, um, it's also a chance for you know other people that don't we don't get to see too much just to you know to just to have a have a beer and share Absolutely. a laugh or a cry or a story. One of the the great things, um, the, the images that I'll remember is that game in Buffalo right after Tucker's passing, and, and everyone was coming together, and, and, and everything that the Bandits did uh, for you guys and your family. How important was the lacrosse community for you in that time? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, words can't describe that. And, um, you know, um, <clears throat> as soon as, you know, Tucker was diagnosed, Scott Loeffler, he was, uh, it was crazy. It was just crazy what he, he set out to do and was yeah. willing to do everything and anything for, for, for us. And, and, um, and still to this day, he's still a, a big part of our Brave and the Brave, um, um, you know, foundation and, and what, mm-hmm. we're, what we're, what we're trying to spread and, spread the word and you know it's uh it definitely it's you know the people only people special our special our uh community is and you know it's 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 awesome when um you see new new lacrosse families come into it and they, they can't believe you know what what a community we have and you know obviously you feel honored and special and it was uh it was huge obviously to have <clears throat> to have that and uh, you know as much as again it's the and Tucker never, he wasn't all of it. You know, we're all the same. Just humility and 
but you know, at some point you, you let your guard down and you need to say thank you for, yeah. for all the support. And, yeah. Uh, the fans get it. We'll get a chance to say thank you, you know, throughout your retirement process here, but uh, it started back in 1998 with the Ontario Raiders. Um, were you happy wearing those ridiculously yellow and red jerseys? Oh, without a doubt. I, 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 played, for Scarborough. <laughs> I played for the Scarborough Saints and we were brown and gold growing up. And, oh. oh, yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, it's, it was my, my, my dad was a Cleveland Brown uh, fan growing up, so I had some brown stuff at home. So, yeah, it didn't uh, – the color schemes never bothered me, no. What do you Obviously, remember about just, that first year, though? Oh, I just uh, – how excited uh, – you know, every shift was in the, and, and uh, every team was, and we were just all, you know, a, a bunch of kids just running around there and, and enjoying it. You, you go from, you know, watching it. I had a couple tryouts at Buffalo and just was almost making it, and then they still had that American uh, Canadian rule, and mm-hmm. so that was always came into play. And then once uh, once we got to get out there and compete with them, it was just uh, it was unreal. It was it was uh, yeah. Totally unreal, and then the mix of the uh, West Coast boys with, uh, with uh, creating friendships with, with all those guys—it was—it was awesome. Uh, the team eventually moves to Toronto, where you guys win a couple cups, and, and you were a part of those runs. What do you remember about those early years, especially um, the beginning and sort of the tail end of the legacy of Les Bartley? Yeah, you know what? I was—I uh, I, I was there '99. I got traded for the for the second cup, but. Uh, being a you know a, a Toronto kid, I grew up in Scarborough and was uh, always hanging out at Maple Leaf Gardens for uh, Leaf practices and uh, Toronto Marley games. And uh, you know, obviously, it was always a dream to, to play Maple Leaf Gardens and to have your whole friends and family there at every game. And it, it was crazy the excitement that uh, was brought about around that team. And um, you know, Les was uh, definitely uh, awesome to play for, and uh, you know, it was. Uh, he was a, definitely a character, um, you know. Trying to, he was always trying to, you know, bring about a, a different spin on on the game, which uh, you see so many people trying to do. And you know, the way they ran certain things, and the the way they tried to, you know, play uh, <clears throat> play with the rules, and, and you know, not not break them, but bend them. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it was awesome to see that kind of uh, technical side, as well as you know, his uh, his famous uh, speeches that he was always. Uh, He's always up to share with with the team. It was uh, it was fun. I'm sure we're going to see a, a long legacy of guys that played for Terry Sanders and become great NLL players. We already are, and then NLL coaches. We're seeing that with guys who played under Les who have become coaches. You can look at Keenan. You can look at Cordingly and Coyle and Stroop and Gilly, and now you're getting into that mold as well. What was it about Les that inspired you guys to, to give back to the game? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think – uh, to be honest, Les was, uh, you know, he let, he let the boys play and then he, he was always there to, you know, he, he get you, try to get you pumped up before the game. And, um, I, I think it, you know, we'll, you definitely take that, uh, his preparation side and, uh, the way he, the way he talked to, to his players. Um, I, I truly think that, you know, the times when, when those guys, uh, when, you know, less than, the rest of the coach staff had the coaches. I don't think he needed. Uh, I think I think some, most of the players were just ready to give whatever they had, no matter what. I think it was just a, a different different mindset that we, uh, as the older crew, had, and you, you could see it where you know I, I teach high school. It's it's definitely you know it's it's lost that kind of uh, way where you know you ha- you have to get in, you have to really be able to find a way to get kids uh, and younger guys going. For whatever reason, it's just uh, I don't know if it's just we uh, we spoil our kids and you know they're I don't know what it is, but uh, it definitely I think that you we didn't need a lot, but whatever whatever they gave us, it just added to that fuel and uh, it, we you know you then you play like a you know a controlled crazy guy. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, after that two years with the the Ontario and Toronto franchise, you go to Buffalo for a couple of years, and then we meet up in Rochester in 2002 for my first year. And, and the the 2002 Champions Cup loss still sits me that crazy seven six game against Toronto. Uh, does that one still haunt you as well? Oh, I, of course. And that, you, you know, you, you you can reflect back and all the the, the missed chances and, and stuff, and you know. But that was a time where. 
the one the one game scenario which you know mm-hmm. people don't like, but I still love. And it's you know, and both goalies were hot that game, and it was just uh, you know that. Oh, I just remember that fluky ground ball that kind of Beltman Beltman slid for and popped it over, and then all of a sudden it was in our net. Was like, yeah, just those. There's always you know, the, and he was good for. He was always famous for making those big time plays, and uh, you know that was just a it was almost a difference. And uh, yeah, that one uh, definitely was obviously you know being in Rochester would have been awesome. Yeah, as you know to to win it for that that fan base, and you know they've had to, they've had to luxury of having a couple in the last few years but I think it was just uh you know a different time with the the group we had in the upstate New York guys and and, and uh you know the mix of Canes with with those guys was uh yeah it was a great roster for Rochester uh you had a chance to play with some incredible lefties in your time uh Doyle Severus Grant uh Dewey Jacobs list can go on who's your favorite teammate well, you know what? That that'd be that'd be hard because they they yeah. all they, they, they you know they're all my favorites. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. playing with, but I think just uh, obviously with the length of time playing with was uh, it was obviously junior and yeah. uh, you know we we had some, some special times in Rochester, especially uh, I think we I think I was I think we got to play together in eight years. I think you yeah. I think I saw two more after he left, but um, yeah, it it was obviously. Uh, you know, you wish you could have had a few more championships out of there, but uh, you know, the 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 '07 team was definitely uh, yeah, that that was unbelievable as well. And you know, and, but uh, I would say out of those guys, junior. Yeah. But again, you know, the, I, I take everything like the, especially playing with Doyle in his, his you know his really early days was uh, awesome to see the fire and the passion that mm-hmm. he had then, and he, and he just brought it with him throughout his whole career and. Playing with the Bears, who's but you know by far the best boss player to play, and you, know, you, you take uh, I took it, I took a little bit of everything from from all of them or, or a lot, and uh, you, you know it's, they're all special, and uh, I, I'm just very fortunate. Uh, people will say, uh, myself included, I spoke with Joel McCready for a PLPR PLPA article about uh, you know teammates that inspired us, and you're always on the list, and you were on his list uh, of a guy that just led by example. Uh, I'll always remember the images of you being first and last off the floor, you know, warming up in your sweatpants and constantly working on the stick. What drove you to be that kind of a leader and that kind of a player? Yeah, I, honestly, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was just my, you know, my, my Scarborough upbringing or the way my dad talked to me. I just, it was always just, and then, you know, I, I honestly, I, I don't know how or where, where I got it. Maybe it was yeah. even, uh, high school football and the coaches we had, I think a little bit of everything kind of just, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you just, you, you, you do your job and you do it well and you work hard and, and enjoy the whole process. And that's the one thing I, I, I did. I, I love the practice. I love being with the boys. It, it didn't matter as, you know, as grindy as some of those, uh, winter months got and right in the middle of the season when it, it, it's hard, but you know, it, it, having great teammates to, to, to go through the bowels with and that the whole process was, was uh, awesome. Just love being around it and, and getting better and working hard and becoming a better team. And that was just the, you know, and just the, I think it was just always cause you had a chance. You always had a chance mm-hmm. to win. And uh, until that last second when, when it was over. And so you were always just building for that. It, obviously it didn't end the way you wanted to with your career, but you know, you, you've moved into a position with the Buffalo bandits now as, it's sort of a coach, scout, extra personnel. Uh, what does that do for Sean Williams? How is Sean Williams different now with that role? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I think it's just an opportunity to, you know, to if uh, if they if they want to hear what I have to say, I, I get to say it. And you know, I've coached my son all the way up. He's just uh, just finished his last year in midget, and, um, mm-hmm. so we you know I had them since they were four or five years old. So that was a pretty cool pretty cool uh thing to, to to finish it off with seven or eight of them and uh you know i i, I coach anything and everything i can and yeah. uh so i think you know it it seems like it's a definitely a normal transition for for where i want to want to go and that you know the the job right now it's it's perfect that i you know i i don't have to travel i can just uh you know get to sit on my couch and watch games and, and, and do my job from there when I, when the, when the boys are on the road. And yeah. uh, I think that just for right now, it's perfect with uh, getting to hang out with my family a little bit more until, 
until I, you know, there's until there's a chance, and you know, definitely with whether it's, uh, you know, getting an assistant job somewhere, or, you know, an on bench would. But uh, for now, I'm in a, it's a, I'm in a good spot. I think that assistant job or a head coaching job is in the near future for you. It's just a natural progression and a guy that everybody would be able to follow into battle. Um, one last, two last things before we let you go. Uh, the 9 Man Cup, obviously. Uh, many people regard it as the greatest man cup ever. Your Brooklyn Excelsior, Brampton Excelsior, sorry, uh, won four games in overtime, and it was just an incredible man cup. What do you remember most about that series? Because there were so many things about that series that were just crazy. Yeah, honestly, uh, the thing that uh, I, I think it all, will always get in my brain is it was uh, one of our last offensive shifts, um, and we were down. And I was, I was literally, I have goosebumps right now talking about it. I got to the bench and I'm, I'm self-talking to myself. I said, buddy, like, like, how can you, you can't be, obviously you're upset you lost, but like, you, you just, you were just part of something so unbelievable and so hard. Like it, it like everybody was just, it was, it was a, a, a true war and mm-hmm. it, you gave everything. So yeah, I, I think I was just, I was talking myself into that we, we were pretty much done, which, as everybody saw, we 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 pretty much should have been done. Yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden it's just that watching the Bulls chase <laughs> chase the chase that loose ball down on their end and, and score. I'm like, oh shit! Now it's now we got a chance again, right? Let's go! Yeah. And I, I'll never forget that. And it's and then that's the thing. And it, you know, talking to myself like I would talk to my 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 son's team. It's like you know. All you ask for in life is a chance, and all you ask for in lacrosse is a chance. And we had that chance, and it was just, you know, it was almost, it was basically we were hanging off, hanging on by a string, and and the the stars aligned, and the right people were on the floor on the at the right time for us, and obviously not for them, and it, it worked out. And it, you know, does it always work out? You know, I always think about the other side as well, thinking where they were and where they were with their brain. And I remember watching their guys that weren't dressed get their jerseys on and we're getting ready to come on the floor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the whole karma thing, I don't know, because realistically were they told to do that? I don't know, but you know, everything just kind of obviously worked out for us and uh, we'll definitely take it. But I would have been proud regardless to, to be a part of that because it, it was such an unbelievable battle and war for, for all both sides. Um, so one last thing, if people want to, um, come to Tucker's Angelversary, uh, where can they find information? Where can they go? Yeah, yeah Facebook, uh, Tamara, Tamara Williams' Facebook. I think I posted something on Twitter. I'm going to have an update. Uh, we'll have an update tonight. Just uh, We've added a few things for it, but it's uh, cool. General Sikorsky Hall in, in, in Oshawa. And, uh, yeah, it's, it'll be, uh, I mean, as hard as it, hard as it is, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to, to you know, celebrate Tucker's life and uh, and just before Christmas. Well, I think uh, everyone will be thinking of you, thinking of Tucker and the whole family uh, uh, this weekend and throughout the years. Everyone rocks the braver than brave. Uh, Willie, uh, it was an incredible opportunity to play with you, play against you, and always love having you on the show. Uh, thanks for giving us some time, and thanks for all the memories. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it, Teddy. Willie ends his NLL career tied for second in games played with Shooter at 257. He finishes 5th all-time with 444 goals, 6th all-time with 708 assists, and 6th all-time with 1,152 total points. He was one of the best team guys you could ever ask for. And not just because he was not a me guy, but because he was so influential in helping young guys become great lacrosse players and molding them into great professionals. And that was one of the things that always stood out with Willie is that he helped you understand what it meant to be a professional, both on and off the floor, having fun, being serious, knowing when and when not to do things, understanding situations, again, on and off the floor. And I remember talking, I said that in the interview, talking with Joel McCready, And Creed said that one of the guys he always respected was Sean Williams because of his work ethic away from the game. It's unfortunate that we're not going to be able to see Willie again. I'm sure that he can make any team he wanted to 
if he put his mind to it. It's not going to be the same. I know last year we didn't have him, but it just kind of it didn't feel right. And now that he's retired, it kind of puts the final nail in the coffin. But it still just doesn't seem right to me. However, he's still going to be around. Still going to be rocking sweet hats. Have that big smile on his face. And always willing to give you a hug and say hello. When I was going over um, teams and what they needed, I actually forgot one team. And I can't believe I actually forgot it. Um, The Rochester Nighthawks. They still have some decisions to make as well. They're pretty close to the number. They've added a player this week in Jarrett Davis, which really kind of throws a bit of a wrench into the mix. But he's a guy familiar with the system, familiar with a lot of the bodies on that team, and he's ready to get going. And he had his first experience with his new club this past weekend, and he was able to catch up with Craig Rubzinski, Nighthawks PR and play-by-play guy. And here are Jarrett's thoughts of coming back to the Rochester Nighthawks. Yeah, it felt great. Uh, it was an easy transition for me, knowing a few of the guys from here from last time and the coaching staff. So it was uh, it brought back some old memories, but uh, there's something special about playing in this arena. It was a fun night. Yeah, I was going to say you had uh, two goals and two assists in that first half. I mean, you got right into the flow offensively and in transition. How did it feel to get that, uh, that first one out of the way? Yeah, it felt good just to contribute early, but, um, you know, I wanted to kind of, play a bit more up-tempo game just because we start the season in a couple weeks. So this was our last chance to kind of fine-tune what we have going on. So um, just wanted to contribute early, and I got lucky on that shot. So when you first started here, you had two great seasons. You cap it off with a 2012 championship. What do you remember about that uh, that last season as a Nighthawk? Uh, I think you remember just uh, the good times you have with the players and the camaraderie. That's probably the best thing. But... Championship game always stands out, and uh, um, you know, being able to, to lift the cup in your home building is, is something special. And then you go to uh, the Rush, and you win back-to-back championships. Uh, that had to have been something special. Yeah, that was good. I mean, anytime you win, it's, like, it's the most gratifying feeling, uh, and that's why we play the game. But I had to wait and watch Rochester win a couple, which uh, fueled me a little bit. So now the, the ring counts tied at three with uh, some of the guys, and hopefully I can uh, jump ahead of Sass this year and, and get the fourth one. How much are you looking forward to uh, to opening night here at the Blue Cross Arena? Yeah, I mean, again, anytime you come here, <clears throat> just the beginning of announcing the names, you know, when the OA team comes in, the fans are in it right away. It just makes it so much easier to play and kind of get in the groove of things. So I can't wait. I hope uh, we come out strong and get a good start to the season, but hopefully they, uh, they pack the building. It's a good night. There is, that's Jarrett Davis, now of the Rochester Nighthawks, and that allows us to segue nicely into this week's Poppin' Drops. So now as we get closer and closer to Monday's deadline, the waiver wires become that much more interesting to look at almost daily because it seems that things continue to happen almost daily. And since we were on the air last, some things have happened. And it started when the Saskatchewan Rush released Jared Davis, and that kind of got a lot of people's head scratching and wondering why this four-time Champions Cup winner is not there anymore. Well, it's simple. Numbers, man. And that actually doesn't make it simple. But sometimes in this league, you have to allow your young guys who have been waiting in the wings a chance to actually prove themselves. And I think this is the experience, and sorry, the case of it happening in Saskatchewan. Jarrett Davis should be on that team, and he very well could be on that team. However, the rush field that Marty Dinsdale has paid his dues And this is the year that he will get the playing time. And while Marty may not have the same experience, big game experience, Champions Cups, and Man Cups, Dinsdale's been around the block. He's seen some teams win. 
Um, he's been with the Rush organization. Um, he's been with the Roughnecks. He has been to a Minto Cup. He's won a Minto Cup. He gets it. He understands. He's just been waiting his time. And it looks like this year is going to be that time as Davis is out. Dinsdale pretty much getting an assured spot into the starting roster for Derek Keenan in 2017. And when Davis was released, I thought that Vancouver would pounce. Doug Locker, I thought, was going to have Davis on speed dial, have him signed even before the ink was dry on his release term paper. Didn't happen. I talked to Locker, and they felt that with the numbers that they had, there wasn't a fit for Jarrett Davis. Jarrett Davis understood that. And so, you know what? Sometimes where a logical fit may seem like a done deal, doesn't always work out that way. It just so happened that Rochester was looking for a guy with Jarrett Davis's pedigree. And they scooped him up. And I think it's it's a great fit for him in Rochester. I think that allows him to play his style of lacrosse, uh, gritty, both ways, in your face, and be a bit of a leader. So I think Jarrett Davis will be happy in Rochester. And as you heard him talk with Craig Rosinski, he had a couple points in that one half that he played. So good on Jarrett for sticking around. And uh, who knows? Maybe this will be the year he gets number five. And a third straight NLL title. Uh, the Rush weren't done. They released Mason Pinn and Regan Harding from the active rosters as well. The Mammoth placed Greg Downing on the active roster from the IR. So that's another solid, reliable defender in the back end. Colorado wasn't done as they released Michael Simon, Terry Ellis, Tyler Codron, Zach Boychuk, Jamie Lincoln, and Jackson Decker. Uh, Zach Boychuk was the guy, remember when I talked about Vancouver, said there could be another goalie on the way? Well, Boychuk's a mainland transplant. Could he get a call from the Stealth? Again, if they're going to do it, they're going to have to make that move quick because decisions have to be made by the end of this weekend. Or do they just kind of sit on it? Stick with who they pick, see if it works for the first couple of weeks. If it doesn't, Maybe Locker tests the free agent waters and see what goalies are out there. It'll be interesting to see if Locker pounces on any of the other guys the Mammoth released today. Tyler Codron, a stay-at-home D-guy, and Jackson Decker, um, a great, versatile transition player. Both mainland guys, uh, they'd be right there in the, in the stealth backyard and wouldn't be surprised, hopefully, possibly, to see those guys picked up and given a shot with their local club right in their backyard. Uh, as mentioned, the New England Black Wolves haven't made many moves in recent weeks. They signed Pat Saunders to a two-year contract extension. Uh, Saunders had probably his best year of his career last year. Obviously, that helps when you're playing with Sean Evans. Uh, but they expect big things from him again, and that confidence that he got from last year should easily allow him to have another very successful year this year at the Den. The Buffalo Bandits released Tyler Ferreira, Logan Holmes, John Sullivan, Zach Tompkinson, from the active roster, so they're slowly paring down, and we talked about how they're a few D-spots away from solidifying their active roster. Vancouver released Tyler Hammer-Jackson, Cody Tykrub, Connor Goodwin, Dane Sorensen, Colton Porter, and Connor Brown. And uh, right after I kind of said that the Stealth had made some moves, um, they also signed Brendan Fowler actually to a one-year deal. Fowler was a cut by the Colorado Mammoth two weekends ago. But when, I, when the news came out of who the Stealth released. I was kind of surprised to see Connor Brown out, um, but when I talked to Doug Locker again, he said, you know what, he just he wasn't going to crack our top four lefts. So I said, well, maybe he could play transition. He's like, nope, he's a straightforward guy. And he didn't fit in their system. Didn't fit in their numbers. So a guy that they've been waiting for for a few years to stop playing hockey just didn't fit. That's sometimes how it works. But again, I th- see, this is the way my mind thinks is sometimes 
And this isn't just a specific case with Vancouver. This happens, and it's the exact case of Dane Smith. Sometimes when a player doesn't fit into the hole that you had him pegged for, sometimes you have to mold that peg and find him a different hole. And we've seen it with some players. You know, Mark Stainhouse was a two-way guy early on in his career. Now he's playing mostly out the front door. There are a lot of guys that are athletically able to play two ways even though they are labeled just a forward. And I think, you know, we've gotten so far away from, you know, the the old mindset of five-man lines and everybody plays D and everybody plays O that we are putting guys in specific holes when we don't need to. And the game is becoming that much more athletic and that much younger that, yes, you can allow guys to be specific O or D guys if that's their M.O. But some of these guys are just such good athletes that you can mold them into transition studs. And that's where this game is going. The transition guys are becoming... So prototypically important. It's ridiculous. And so there are some teams that are in tough decisions. So if they think, well, maybe this guy quite doesn't fit here. But what if we allowed him to play both ways? You might be able to find a few more success projects and success stories than if you just keep a guy in one lane and don't let him change. One other minor note, uh, the Calgary Roughnecks released Jake Archdiken from their active roster as well. And that will do it for another edition of the Pop and Drop. Jeremy Noble is a pretty versatile guy in his own right. He may not be big, but he plays a big game. And uh, having spent some time with him over the past few weeks, talking to him, getting to know him, he's really started to take on a leadership role with this Colorado Mammoth Club. And he is looking to have one of his career years. He's only in his second full year after missing the first half of his first year because he couldn't and wasn't unable to commit to the Rochester Nighthawk. He's using a lot of those leadership skills, helping mold the next great Jeremy Noble at Denver University as one of their associate coaches. And I was able to catch up with him for the podcast earlier today, and I started off our conversation asking Jeremy after their weekend in Toronto leading into the final week of camp how he felt about his club good I mean uh, obviously it wasn't results like you said on uh, on Saturday night but I think we're coming together as a team we got some good leaders in place uh, we missed some guys Saturday night but I know we're looking forward to, to getting back to Denver this coming weekend and wrapping up training camp here what drives you to be the leader that you've become because I saw you two weekends ago in Vancouver, and and you really have sort of taken on an offensive leadership role. What drives you to be that voice in that huddle? Uh, I, I just think I just want to be the best teammate I possibly can. Uh, always be there for the guys on the team. And I've been fortunate to, to be coached by some very good leaders and, uh, and and have played with some very good leaders. So I just I think it's some of the things that um, I've taken from them and I've implemented with myself. But the biggest thing is just being a good teammate. And when I can help guys out with little things that I know, then I'm always willing to do that. Uh, I asked some of the guys uh, a couple weekends ago what they were, what advice they would give to some of the younger guys in their first camp. What are some of the things that you've, you know, given advice to, to a guy like Jacob Rue to help him calm the nerves and enjoy his first NLL camp? Um, I, I, it's funny you say that. I was talking to Jake about this. At the end of the day, it's still the game of lacrosse that you've played since um, you're pretty young. So it, it's um, they're all here for a reason. Uh, as I said, Jake's been awesome with us, and, and he's going to be a good player in this league and, and for the Colorado Mammoths. But um, just it's still the game of lacrosse, and it's what you've learned your whole life. So just play your game. Do what you do. Don't try to do too much. Um, know what your role is, and, and if you're doing the little things right, you're running hard on and off the floor, and you're being a good teammate, you're going to be okay as a young guy. Uh, you have the chance to play with one of the legends of the game like I did in my first couple of years in the league. What, what is it like for you to play with Junior? It's great. It's definitely something I don't take for granted. Every time we're on the floor together, uh, I'm listening, uh, even just watching him in Toronto. He, he drives up the 
the left alley and, and throws it behind the back, short side, top corner. <laughs> um, so so I, I'm a spectator a lot of the time with him, just watching him, especially when I'm not on the floor with him. I'm always watching him on the floor um, from the bench, just watching what he does, how he handles himself. Um, it, it's just it, it's been such a special time in Denver here for myself being able to play with him, and it's something that, that I enjoy and I look forward to doing again this year. Uh, you were drafted by the Nighthawks uh, second overall in 2014, but just due to work and, and all the other commitments you had, it didn't work out for you. How did it affect you sitting out the first half of that season? It's tough. Um, it, it was really tough, but I had some, some good support people around me um, with my family, my brother, um, just, just some, some people that really helped me get through it. At the end of the day, Colorado's where I wanted to be and it's where I sort of had to be. It's unfortunate that in the NLL, um, if you live pretty far from a place that you get drafted to and you're working here, um, I, I wasn't able to make practices there ever during the week. And um, mm-hmm. that's something that was important to me was being somewhere where, where being a rookie, I was able to make every single practice um, and be a good teammate. And it's unfortunate that uh, with Rochester, they were practicing Tuesday nights. Um, and it was something I couldn't make happen from Denver with uh, with working here. Um, so, so definitely glad to be in Colorado now. But uh, and hopefully in the future you see where, where players don't have to be in those sort of situations where they have to make a decision. But it was tough, um, but I, I'm just glad I'm with the Mammoths now, and, and I couldn't be more happy to, to be here. Uh, after your time in, at DU, it's become a bit of a second home for you down there in Denver, hasn't it? It's, uh, it's been great to, to play for the Mammoths and then also coach at DU. It's been such a special opportunity to, to be able to coach with uh, with Bill Tierney, John Orson, and Matt Brown has been pretty special. Um, like I said, I'm still young and I'm still learning from these guys, and I'm always asking them questions. Well, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? So, so it's been great, and um, it's been sort of unique as well with, with having to to coach some guys that I actually played with at DU. Mm, so my yeah. first year there, the juniors and seniors I had played with at DU, and this year um, all the seniors there. But it's been fun coaching guys like Tyler Pace and Zach Miller, the guys that are going to be big time box across players. Um, that are my friends, but I also have to coach them. So it's been a great, um, it's been a great couple of years, and, and we're looking forward to this upcoming year with DU as well. Do you have uh, any influence on some of those American guys and, and putting a box stick in their hands and getting them indoors and, and try to teach them the nuances of an indoor game and maybe convince them to come up and play a summer up north just just to, to try to get a feel of it? Totally. Uh, I think that's something myself and, and Coach Brown do. I know we do a lot of box lacrosse stuff here in um in the fall with with our DU guys. So there's been some guys that we've watched play and we sort of look at each other and go, hey, this guy could probably play in the NLL once he's done yeah. college. Um, a guy like Connor Canizero, he, he's been excellent in the box across the arena, who I think someone that is sort of like a Casey Powell type player, both from upstate New York, but they both have that knack in the box across the arena. So he's someone I definitely think you could see play in the NLL once he's done college if he wants to do it. What's the advice that you give to those Americans that maybe have never thought about playing the box game and have always focused on field? I think just uh, play to your strengths. I think that's a big thing. If you play to your strengths as an American player, whether um, you're a defender and you're big and athletic and you can go out and get guys and, and cover them, um, or if you're a stay-at-home guy, or, for example, if you're an offensive player, if you're a good shooter, shoot the ball. If you're if you're good one-on-one, then, then try to set up some plays out there where you can go one-on-one. Um, but if you're using your strengths as an American in this game, you're going to be okay. And we have tons of great coaches and, and players in this league that are willing to help these guys because um, they're a big part of this league. We want them in this league. And um, the more more Americans we can get in this league, I think the, the better uh, better lacrosse you will see um, to the spectators watching. I completely agree. I had you know your mentor, Coach Bill Tierney, on the show a, a few weeks back, and, and he's a massive advocate for the box game. Um, how cool is it to be able to learn from one of the greatest coaches ever? It's um, it's something, like I said before, I don't take it for granted. Every time I'm in the office, I'm always um, have my ears open listening and working with them. But I'm just so fortunate. Um, they've All three of those guys have taken me under their wings and, and really showed me the ropes. So I couldn't be more blessed to, to be able to come to work every single day and learn from those guys, and especially Coach Key. Um, he's just, he's probably the greatest coach ever to, to coach the game of field lacrosse. Um, just the, the way he manages the team and, and brings everyone together is something pretty special and um, it's something fun and it's something I enjoy every single day and I wake up and, and realize how, how lucky I am to be able to work with those guys at the University of Denver. 
Is there a lighter side to Coach T? There is. There is. He there always is. It, it, it's, it, it's funny you say that. Um, being in the office with him every single day, you sort of learn um, You learn about him as a person. I mean, he, he's such a great coach, but uh, he's an even better person. And he really cares about every single person at the university, whether you're, you're, you deal with lacrosse or not. He's just such a caring person. Um, he's a great mentor. And um, if you ever need anything, he's someone that always has your back, and that's something that I really respect about him. Uh, I never had a chance to play against my brother. You get to pretty much every year. What's it like having to go toe-to-toe uh, with Brother Jason? It's different. Um, we're fortunate to play in the in Oakville in the summers together, which is mm-hmm. nice, but we have to play in both NLL and the MLL against each other. So it's definitely something unique. I think in a lot of professional sports, you see brothers playing each other, but I don't think you see twins going against <laughs> each other with one playing offense and one playing defense. So it's fun. I think once the game starts, um, we don't really notice each other out there too much. Um, it's definitely awkward when, when we get tangled up a little bit or he's mm. covering me. But at the end of the day, um, you're just trying to be the best teammate for your team and you're trying to, to win that game. And uh, it's fun. It's something we can lean on um, and, and ask for advice from each other about different teams or different players. Um, so it's definitely something fun and, and we love it. And I'm, I'm sure when we play each other, our parents are probably uh, sweating a little bit mm. and not knowing who they're going to cheer for. Um, but as long as we don't fight each other, I think they're happy. <laughs> that was going to be the next question. Would there ever be a chance in line brawl? Are you two squared up? Who would win? Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to say uh, I'd win, but he's a D guy. He's, he's a pretty <laughs> tough guy. He's been into uh, he's been into more fights than, than I've been. Um, but I definitely, um, you never know. I think that that's one thing my mom always texts my brother and I before we play each other. She says no fighting. Um, so let's just hopefully it doesn't happen. <laughs> Well, that text will probably come on uh, February 3rd. You guys play each other on February 4th. Uh, but December 30th is your first game of the year. It's only a few weeks away. How excited are you to be able to stop beating up on your teammates and scoring on Dylan Ward and put some past Anthony Cosmo? <laughs> it's going to be good. Uh, I think we're just ready to get this season going with. I know we have a big weekend at camp here um, coming up. we got uh, some sessions. we really got to work on our offense. we really got to work on our defense. Um, we've got to work on coming together as a team, but, but once December 30th hits, I, I think we're going to be ready to go. We're all um, we're all in great shape, and uh, we just have a really good thing going here, and we're looking on building our last year. Uh, you, you talk about coming together and the bonding, and, and that was one of the things I always loved about, you know, NLL preseason because everybody kind of travels and get to go, get to start knowing each other and building those bonds. What's the one thing that the Mammoths do um, that really helps bring everybody together? Um, I think Steve Dubbin does a good job of making sure there's team activities um, that we're all doing together, whether we're going for dinner like we did in Vancouver as a whole team, or I'm sure we'll have something this coming Saturday night. Uh, we, last year we did some ping pong, a little tournament, but uh, Steve Dubbin does a great job of making sure everyone's together. And I think the biggest thing is the bonding on the floor that we do, how hard we work against each other, I think uh, makes us all want to want to work hard for each other and uh, and play hard for each other. So it, it's been a great experience here in Colorado with how close we are, and we're just looking to build upon that every single year. Sunday, Broncos-Patriots, who wins? Broncos. I mean, they, they need to win. Um, but but uh, the feeling with the Broncos, they're a clutch team. they got some good leaders in that room, and uh, I expect them to have a good game. Well, let's hope that trickles down to some mammoth success this year. Nobs, it's always great catching up with you and talking. Uh, I'm sure I'll see you at a rink soon, and uh, best of luck this year. Awesome. Thanks, Teddy. There he is, Jeremy Noble of the Colorado Mammoth. Now, truly just think about this. Whether you have a brother, a sister, or a twin, I can't. Maybe it's just me, and we all know I'm not a fighter. I just don't know if I'd have been able to punch Fred in the face. I've probably done it before. But I just don't know if I would have been able to grab my brother in a fight and punch him. It's just, I don't know, it's weird, man. Especially, imagine if he was your twin, like Jeremy and Jason. And then you had to fight him. And he'd be like the Corsican brothers. And you punch him and you feel it. And then he punches you and he feels it. So next thing you know, you're just punching yourself. 
Now, I guess I should apologize, because if you don't know the Corskin Brothers reference, you may not get that joke. If you don't get it, find it on Netflix. And if it's not on Netflix, it's probably on YouTube or somewhere. The Corskin Brothers, it's a great movie. One last thing before we go. I still have no idea what this logo was going to look like. It's driving me insane, and I have to wait four more days. We're all on pins and needles waiting. Nothing has even been leaked. Not even like a covert operation of someone taking a picture using a MacGyver spyglass through a window off of a mirror. No one has been able to infiltrate the offices, find a phone, and leak a picture. What is this world coming to when I can't get leaked a picture of the upcoming NLL logo? That's how secretive it is. Hope it lives up to the hype. Hope it lives up to the hype. I don't know. We just have to wait and see. It's been a huge secret. And it will be unveiled this weekend at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut. If you can get there, great. If you are, please send me a picture. Because I would love to see what they do there. As is, that's all for this week. It has been another fantastic show. Thank you for tuning in and taking some time to listen to my rambles. Thanks to Jeremy Noble and thanks to Sean Williams. Not only for giving us time, but for also all the great memories and a few passes here and there. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossBar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you soon. The games are soon. If you can get to a camp this weekend, please do. There is a game in Saskatoon. It's almost, almost sold out. It's not fully sold out, but it's pretty darn close. So if you are in Saskatoon, check it out. If not, we will speak again in a week's time. Until then, be excellent to each other.